0: Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Lincoln Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory. Great. Pre owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors. Wall Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15. In Hummelsworth and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. The Mets, in a victory, still make a mess.
1: Back to Guillaume.
0: And he loses the ball and is footing. India pops to his feet. A sprint to the plate. Winker to third. India scores. Five, three, red. Guillaume going to third base to get the lead runner. However, I think that ball's hit so hard, he would definitely have that double play if he decided to go back to second base. And I have been out there before. It is a lonely feeling when you can't get a feel for the ball. They still hit seven home runs and beat the Reds 15 to 11. About that.
2: It's been a strange yeah. few days for the Mets.
0: Well, imagine Jacob DeGrom. Looking I at seen seeing seven runs, coming from behind 6 nothing, scoring seven runs. Conforto hits the home run. And then they get 15 yesterday. He's looking around saying, how come you guys don't do this when, not, when I'm pitching?
2: And I was on the IL.
0: I know. I know. Wow. All right. Jeff Bezos, by the way, went into space today. And uh, it went, what, 62 miles up, came straight back down. Neil Kulong, I believe, was scheduled to be on that mission. But because he's scheduled to be on this show, he kept his promise and joined us.
1: Uh, as always, it's good to be here. I, I actually was the guy who was going up to space, but I had, I had a scheduling conflict, so I I couldn't quite make it. But uh, next time, he told me he was going to get me up there.
0: Well, I mean, if you hadn't committed to this show, you would have been. But
1: there's that too. Yeah, there's that too. I'm not going to leave you guys out when I'm floating around Neptune <laughs> or wherever it is that it went. <laughs> All
0: right, so uh, a bookend for TJ Watt. What did you think of the Ingram signing?
1: I think um, legitimately, it, it's it's an excellent move. I think it's it, it's great strategically for the Steelers because um, while I think there will be snaps that that uh, he takes where he's lined up opposite of T.J. Watt, I think there are plenty of opportunities for a, a creative defensive coordinator to find a way to get Watts, Ingram, and Alex Highsmith on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I think Ingram, if he showed anything uh, in college and certainly through to the pros. He can play inside or out. I mean, I'm not saying that, that he needs to get down in a, a four-point stance over uh, the, the the nose guard, but he, he can uh, he, he can crash into the a gap. He can play inside, uh, depending on the situation. I'm not saying that, that Vince Williams' job is in trouble or anything like that. But uh, we saw Bud Dupree uh, play heads up, play off, play you know over the center uh, in, in different situations last year and in the past. Um, I think Ingram can do that. He brings kind of a sense of authority where he can crash into your guard or your center and, and blow up the line from the inside out. Now imagine if you put uh, Highsmith and Watt on the edge and you've got your, your your three linemen down the way that you normally would, Cam Hayward, Stephon mm-hmm. Um if, if you have that set up with Ingram, Behind that, uh, behind a Lualu, who would be the, the nose tackle in that situation, you can come from anywhere with a lot of big guys that can move pretty fast. And TJ Watt is one of them. That's a nasty defensive setup. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of teams that really could stop that consistently. Um, it's situational, it's not something you would do every down. Mm-hmm. But Ingram is, is, at the same time, if you put him out on the edge, Ingram is definitely a better run defender than Highsmith is, a young player in, in his own right who, who's going to. Uh, continue to improve, and you're you're excited about that development, but uh, Ingram brings a lot of things to a team that really could use kind of a versatile chess piece, you know, an inside-out uh, kind of, of pass-rushing linebacker. I think they can get a lot of run out of him um, in, in a, a situation type of, of role, which I think is what they, they signed him to play. Right. Uh,
0: he had a four-year, $64 million deal with the Chargers that expired after the 2020 season. Why so long before anybody did sign him? I mean, I know he was banged up last year, but why so long? Because that's what, that, what, what kind of took me back a bit. I mean, He's the kind of guy you would think that if you're going to do this, you would have done it in June.
1: I think, and this, this is the kind of stuff that you never really know, but I think it, it's a combination of teams knowing that all the pandemic stuff, uh, the salary cap jumping way below and coming back up, uh, teams not having perhaps as much space as they're used to, just due, due to a, a lack of rollover space from the previous year, it drives the market down, perhaps artificially. And then you also have to factor: there really isn't much to gain from a, a veteran player like Ingram signing uh, for for minicamp. You know, I, I think if anything, um, Ingram signing a couple days ahead of training camp is probably more Ingram's choice than it is a team. If $4 million is what the final price was, let's say that $4 million would have gotten the deal done in June, uh, the same as it would have in late July. Ingram was probably, he probably would have waited. You know, it, he doesn't really have much incentive to sign uh, anywhere. He's got to kind of wait and field his offers. Um, we just saw it today. Cam Akers of the Rams, a, 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 a good young running back, right. tore his, his Achilles. He's out for the year. If that's an edge rusher, then at that point, Melvin Ingram is worth a lot more money right. than what he just signed for the Steelers. So you're going to wait until the last possible minute, if you are a valued commodity, to see if there is an opportunity that drives his price up. And if there isn't, it's not like there isn't going to be you know, a willing market for him. And I, I think that's really what it kind of came down to. Uh, the talent was definitely there. I think a team can justify saying, well, we're not going to pay you five and a half, we'll give you four, Maybe maybe give you some incentives. But overall, the the need was there for the Steelers. Uh, Ingram needed the opportunity to get snaps and to get film uh, if he wants to capitalize on his ability. He's certainly a good player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, If he wants a chance to get one more big extension, he's going to have to show up and show out in, 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 in a place like Pittsburgh where they're gonna rack up sacks. I mean they're you know, they've they've sacked the quarterback quite a bit over the last five years. They're gonna do it again this year. So uh, with that I, I think it's the right place, it's the right opportunity, and they just kind of needed to, to wait on the price to, to reveal itself in the market. I think that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, no question. Uh, with the training camp coming up have the Steelers reveal what kind of protocols they have to go through?
1: Um I don't know. I, that that kind of thing is usually something you hear at the league level. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's an excellent question for a lot of teams right now. Everything we hear now is they're one of the teams that are above 85% compliance right. as far as uh, vaccination goes. Um, will it be the same as last year? I, one would think not really, but also um, the real differing factor, I think, with the Steelers has been the presence of fans, and you're not really going to get that as much. At Heinz field, you can back the fans way away from everybody else right yeah, they, yeah kind of regulate them right yeah I, I think by and large um they're they're seizing an opportunity to kind of you know focus on more of the work than the fan involvement with with training camp as we've discussed previously um it, I don't think it would be as restrictive perhaps as it was last year, but um whatever it is that they're going to do I think they're going to really kind of keep under lock and key and let the league sort of take it as a a, a PR opportunity and release the information as they would want it to be released I don't think they want uh, original reporting on a lot of this stuff uh, that's outside of their own kind of mouthpiece so I would imagine NFL Network will have the scoop on that a day or two in training camp and maybe the Steelers are one of the teams they look at but Top to bottom, I'm willing to bet we won't hear a whole lot specifically about what they have to go through uh, for a little bit yet at least, maybe from the early teams uh, reporting to camp.
0: When you look at today's game, there's a lot of nickel and dime being played. Do you like the versatility of the Steelers' roster in the secondary that can allow them to place five and six defensive backs at one point?
1: Um, Where we sit today... I would say no because they have a lot of guys that are literally nickel and dimes. I mean, I'm not sure about any of them. Um, I understand that people are all excited about James Pierre. They must've seen more in his 27 NFL snaps than I did. I don't know. That doesn't mean that he's a dog. It doesn't mean that he's a goat. It just means we we really don't have a whole lot to go on. Um, we, We can like the idea of the prospect because we we've, we've seen it, you know, it, it, Mike Hilton's a great story. Uh, I still think he was underpaid. I, I still right. don't think he's been paid his worth as an NFL player. Um, he rose up through the ranks from really kind of the same spot that James Pierre was at. If James Pierre can can step up and be a Mike Hilton player for this team this year, then I'm not sure why the Steelers can't draft players to do well or why they'd even bother. Just keep signing undrafted right. guys; they're 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 pretty good for you. Um, we'll we'll see what happens with him and really as we sit right now not knowing uh, what other moves they might make I find it hard to believe they're not going to find another veteran uh, corner to come in and compete Uh, but as it sits right now you're looking at Joe Hayden um, a a veteran Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say injury plagued but you never know with an older cornerback it's an athletic position it's hard to stay on top of that uh, cam sutton the guy that they believe in so much they gave a two-year contract extension to and james pierre who you know to this point his greatest accomplishment in the nfl outside of staying on the roster is beating out justin lane a guy that i don't think you know has the, the greatest shot of making the team right so i, I don't know what they're going to do um it's wide open now one could say that the great part of that is 31 other teams don't know what they're going to do and they they can you know reveal something that they haven't done uh that they've you know intelligently planned on and are looking to reveal uh as the season goes on but as we sit now there's a lot of guys that we just don't really know anything about and uh, i i still think they'll bring in somebody but one injury is really gonna hurt that unit uh top to bottom I mean, they they do not have any depth um in, uh, among their backups, uh, let alone their starters. So it, it's—I uh, don't know—it's—it's it, it's a group to watch, and I think it's going to be a group that uh, that'll be pretty hot and cold. I think it's a position they're going to want to uh, address in the draft and free agency next year. I don't think they had enough picks and enough money to do it the way they would have wanted this year, but I think they had more holes and they had you know opportunities to fill them uh, this off season. So we'll 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 see how they shake out, as as uh, Mike Tomlin would say. When they get under the stadium lights, we'll see what types of players they are, but for now, a lot of question marks for sure.
0: I had a conversation today with one of the five greatest linebackers in the history of the NFL. Uh someone had add, uh, when Jack Ham played, he had Lambert, they had Andy Russell, you know, then eventually other guys like Lauren Taves and so forth. What do you think the role is of the linebacker in today's NFL?
1: I think a linebacker today is closer to a safety, whereas back in that day It was probably closer to a defensive lineman. Um, the oh, game is getting pushed back yeah. vertically, just due to um, the the you know noticeable improvement at the lowest level of of a quarterback playing in the NFL. Um, the the proliferation of receivers. Um, I was just talking to a buddy of mine the other day about this. It, it's it's unbelievable how good college receivers are today compared to where they were even 15 years ago. Agreed. Um, I, I would say this. And I, I The receiver position is what I really watched and scouted. I would say in my time, my short tenure of this, one of the best college receivers I ever saw at the time was Odell Beckham. Mm-hmm. I loved him in college. I thought the sky's the limit with this kid. LSU does a great job coaching their receivers. I think I saw four of them in a draft that were better than Beckham and three of them played on the same team. It's like, where where are these guys coming from? I mean, this generation, um, they've noticed how many more receivers there are on the field and how many more of them can be successful in the NFL um, on five, six targets a game, something like that. Um, Justin Jefferson of the Vikings, another LSU guy, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the most contradictory thing ever, but one of the best college receivers I've ever seen, a player that I honestly felt was legitimate to go in that draft in the 20s the way he did and I'm not at all surprised with a 100 catch 1,400 yard season from a rookie. And you got to keep in mind that does not happen in the history of the NFL. Very few are doing that yet we're seeing more and more of these guys coming into the pros and most of them come from Alabama or LSU but right. there are a lot of studs. I mean you look at Chase Claypool um, we talked about him going into it I, I didn't think Claypool was really going to see the field a whole lot as a rookie yeah neither they did cut I. 20 pounds off yeah they cut 20 pounds off of him and all of a sudden it's like my god this guy's a, a legit all-route target Completely i mean he, he's, he's a phenomenal player Completely his first zero. catch the first catch that he made was something that 15 years ago you only saw uh, high-end veterans make what what they're teaching him and how they're developing developing them in college has been amazing so if, for me uh, getting back to the point of the linebackers, it, it's you have to cover so many more guys on the field, and with that, as as you know, Steelers fans certainly know, covering them with inside linebackers in the slot isn't the greatest option that you've ever seen. So, to be an inside linebacker, to be a dominant inside linebacker, you've got to be a three-down inside linebacker. And if you look back, with all due respect to Jack Ham who was, I agree a thousand percent with you, one of the best that we've ever seen, he was way ahead of his time. Yes. Ray Lewis was a three-down middle yeah. linebacker at, at a point in which they weren't like him at all. And Ray Lewis got chased off the field at the end of his career because he was too big. You know, that that says a, an extraordinary amount of the evolution of the game and where it's going. Um, it, it, it's, it's a position that, honestly, I think there might be one of them uh, coming in, in a defense team, there'll be seven defensive defensive backs, one linebacker, and then four, you know, basically edge players. Two playing inside. That, that's that's the next defense. So your pure NASCAR pass rush with deep coverage uh, ability. I think that's where everything is going.
0: Right. So now let's flip that to the offensive side. When Ben Roethlisberger, now you know you see everything, of course, uh, in a two-minute drill. Should the Steelers be doing a little bit more during the game to speed the game up and like pick a drive each quarter to play that way? Should they think about doing that?:
1: I think all teams should, at the very least practice like that. I think to to some degree, you're going to have to do that. Um, the trick is, you got to keep in mind, anytime that you try to play hurry up, or you really try to go off tempo. Um, you have to have a lot of experience and yes, it, it, as, as well as you have to have excellent coaching uh, to, to develop the kind of plan and the kind of offense that you want to run. Everybody's got to be on the same page of that. Uh, for the Steelers this year, it's great to have the quarterback, and I, I've said this a bunch and I'll, I'll continue to say it, Ben Roethlisberger is an underrated cerebral quarterback. He's one of the more intelligent passers in the game, and he's been that way for a decade. He's really, really smart. There's a lot you can do with him. There's a lot you can do when you have more keys pouncing under center with that. Uh, you got a rookie, most likely. Um, you've got two tackles who are playing new positions to them this year. You've got a, a second-year left guard, and you've got a right guard who's new to your team. To get all of that on the same page uh, with a rookie running back you're going to see 12 personnel this year. You're going to have a rookie tight end with that as well, an experienced group of receivers, but there are a lot of new faces. Um, I'll say this. I think uh, Mike Tomlin can you know, kind of make another notch on his legacy as far as, as the job that he's done with the personnel that he's been given uh, if they're able to play up-tempo. They're able to play a, a hurry-up offense and be successful with it. You know, again, one incomplete pass, one guy screwing up, slows all that down but if they're able to do that and have success with it they will have accomplished something pretty remarkable uh, in, in this training camp period if they're able to build into that which i think that they can and they're going to have to um it, that will only help your offense i think that the less that you would allow uh, a defense to substitute and the more that you can put on film right. we're able to just tempo you to death that Has nothing to do with our scheme we can just out-personnel you. The better off of a team you're going to be because that that's really what it is. Not so the play call at that point. It's who you have on the field. When you had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, they could run up Temple all day. And on top of that, they had a, an experienced and very talented offensive line. Are they there this year? I don't know. Um, I think they're trying to build for that soon. And whoever uh, kind of inherits the throne from Roethlisberger next year might have the the um, might have the, the benefit of that on their side. But it'll be tough for them to do this year. I know that.
0: Well, and remember, what's the risk of it? You go three and out. You only run off thirty seconds off the clock, and the defense is back out there. So, I mean, it's it's not a perfect world, and you have to take that into account when you make the decision
1: to do it, sir. Exactly. There's a lot that there's a lot that goes into that. Right. A lot that goes
0: in, and that's the part people forget. You know, hey, make a move. Okay, put them on their heels. Well, yeah, in theory, that's great, <laughs> but you also have to take in what's the unintended consequence. What happens if you you're go free and
1: quickly set up you're going to quickly set up third and long you don't want that. Right. So
0: and the defense that may need some time in the sideline isn't getting any. So there's there's a balancing act that has to take place. Sir, always well balanced when we talk to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you.
1: Definitely. As always, thanks for having me.
0: Neil Kulon, great to have you with us today on the show. We've got a lot more to come. Matt has more complaints as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. ...motors... Warf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory. Great pre-owned inventory. All backed by the Sunbury Motors Guarantee. Great sales staff. Fabulous service department. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Jeff Bezos Goes into space today Goes up what 62 miles Comes back down Uh, Did you watch any of that today?
2: I saw some highlights here and there On social media But I can't say I watched it live I mean look It only lasted 10 minutes It was really for me personally It was really of no interest
0: Uh, I'll tell you what was interesting is the precision of this? You watch the booster, which came back down. They fire the retro rockets, and the thing landed right on the target. They're looking around, going, "What the heck? That's pretty. That's pretty good." And then, you know, then they uh, went into the uh, desert there and landed about 16 miles an hour. Boom. Okay, that's why you have cushioned seats. No, it's just, I'm just really surprised because I know I know you have an extra 28 million kicking around, and this is it would have been a golden opportunity for you know for you and Lisa to spend it and oh yeah, take 10 minutes out of your life and go to space. Absolutely, 10 minutes, space. 10 minutes. Oh my almighty! I mean, you're paying like forty two thousand dollars a second. Now that's normally the ad rate for this show, but I mean that's a different story. S <laughs> U I T that spells suit die. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, it suit's just just a shorter way of spelling disaster. All right, so uh <laughs> Tonight by the way game 6 Bucks Suns It's almost over. It's almost over.
2: Yep, I think it ends tonight.
0: Um Scott Foster's officiating tonight. The last 11 the excuse me, the last 12 playoff games that Chris Paul has played in that Scott Foster officiated. Chris Paul's teams are 0-12. You act like I don't prepare for the show.
2: (laughs) That is a good that is a good work by you right there.
0: So all right. So the ratings obviously have been the issue. And remember, it was the NBA. It was the NBA that told us the end of last year when the ratings were so poor to forget about it. Remember? They told us, forget about it. Yep. Okay, so let's just follow their lead (laughs) and forget about it. We'll do it their way. Okay. So listen to the comparison. 2019 2019 to now. And this is not going to be a pretty story. Let's see here. So, Game 5 is a Saturday night. That's not good, all right? So, Game 1, 13.5 million 2019. This year, 8 8.6. Game 2, 14.1 million This year, 9.4. Game three, 13.44 million. This year, 9 million. Game four, 13.2 million. This year, 10.3 million. And then there's this one. Game five in 2019, 18.3 million. They had 9.6 million the other night. Almost half the audience. How about that? Game 6 in 2019 drew 18 million viewers as well. There's no way they're getting that number tonight. Now, Saturday is the worst TV night of the week. In fact, if you combine Saturday and the summer, you combine Saturday with the summer, that's the worst combination you can have. They played Saturday, and and I understand why they played Saturday. They played Saturday because they're trying to move the clock on this thing and get going with it. That's why. So instead of playing Sunday night and then playing Wednesday night, I think they're trying to get just the series over with. And I understand that. Uh, now, if there is a Game 7, ABC and ESPN will certainly make money from it. There's no getting around it. No getting around I mean, they'll make a lot of money by having a Game 7. But the issue that they have is, is that the ratings have fallen off. and oh, And again, keep in mind... Keep in mind, 2019 at Toronto, not a rated market. So when you're talking about the 18 million, that's just the U.S. audience. Now you've got two rated markets in this thing. you got 9.6 million viewers. You've got half. Not good.
2: And the series is about that. On the average, it's averaging 9.37 million viewers. 34% drop from the first five games of 2019. 40%, 46% decline to compare to the four-game Cavs-Warriors series. It's
0: not good. All right, Not good. Um, there are going to be 10 alternative Monday Night Football broadcasts beginning of the season. Eli and Peyton Manning will be on them a deal for three years, 30 games. Levy, Reddick, and Greasy still handle the traditional broadcast. Um, so, that's what they're doing. I love it. Obviously, Amazon NBC badly wants Peyton Manning on there. Look, he's been the white whale out there, for goodness sakes. I mean, everyone knows that. Yeah, that every NFL TV partner wants this guy. He is the whale, and you just can't.
2: Yeah, I'm starting to think Peyton is is starting to take advantage of himself being the white whale, which.
0: well, no, I don't know. I mean, if it's something you don't want to do or you don't feel like doing or you're not comfortable
2: doing. Well, he's kind of been like in the middle, though, because he's he's he always said after he retired, do I do you want to go into TV? Because everybody thought it'd be great, all the commercials and stuff he's done. He said, no, I want to try and be in the front office. But yet he's done these ESPN Plus series, Peyton's Days or whatever it's called.
0: Which, that's by been, the way, I've seen a couple. They're very good.
2: Yeah, they are. They're excellent. And now he's doing this 10 games but not the whole season because I don't want to do the whole season and I want to do it from my home or whatever with Eli. Like, I I just, I I don't know where his head's at. It's like, I feel like you have to choose either one or the other. Like, he's kind of
0: half in it, so to speak.
2: Oh, clearly, you're seeing that now. But I'm just saying, I just, as a viewer, I'm like, is his heart in it or not is my question.
0: It might not be. Maybe his heart's in it to do 10 games. I, You know, I mean, that's – I don't think um, – I don't think – I'm not going to sit here and judge him from here as to what he's thinking. I mean, because it's not a money issue. you got all the money he needs.
2: I'm, st- um, I'm still excited for it, and I'm still going to watch it, but I'm slightly turned off at the same time.
0: No, I'm not going to watch it. I could care less. <laughs> the game – well, I don't... I, I'm i sorry. It's just, you know... If it's a good game, I'll watch the game. If it's not a good game, I'm not going to watch the game. I think most alternative broadcasts are poor. They just are. Agreed. What, I mean, there, there isn't an alternative. I go, hey, oh, yeah, I can't wait to watch that again. New. No okay uh NBA countdown have you watched halftime at all I have not no and it's it's not it's not because it's a protest or I don't I don't do that I just don't have any interest in it I usually turn the channel watch something else for a while and come back
2: I have all not right. seen halftime okay so
0: John Orand wrote this from sports business Journal like an aging Scout I watch Wednesday's halftime show with a timer first. Host Maria Taylor threw it to Jalen Rose. Rose then saluted the work of Devin Booker. It lasted 9.86 seconds. Jay Williams went next. He talked about Giannis. 9.38 seconds. Woj then chipped in 9.93 seconds about Chris Paul. There was a sponsored brought to you by segment. Then the segment was over. The editorial part lasted last lasted less than one minute. Supposedly, that's been one of the big complaints about what they're doing in halftime. Now, look, you sell spots. You have all the room in the world to sell spots in the pregame. You have all the room in the world to sell spots in the postgame. And you have a lot of latitude at halftime. In the game, you don't. I can tell you on the Penn State Sports Network, we get four breaks every quarter. Basketball, we get four breaks a half. Four in the first half, five in the second half. That's it. So you can sell pregame, halftime, postgame. They're selling a lot of commercials. Um to make up financially what's going on. So It's interesting. I I haven't seen it, but I know there have been a couple articles I've read that have said those guys are hardly ever on at halftime. Okay?
2: You know what? For me, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Well, that's,
0: like I said, I haven't seen it. And again, it's not because I'm anti whatever, it has nothing to do with that. Just. You know, it gets to halftime. I've been watching the game. I don't need to hear what they have to say. Um, On Wednesday, ESPN put its host on a platform high above Milwaukee's Deer District. Taylor prodded the crowd to chant Bucks and Six, Bucks and Six, making the crowd a participant in the show just like they do on game day. But with a half hour to set up game four, ESPN slowed down its fast break only slightly. Counting Taylor's intros and setups, the crew analyzed the game for three and a half minutes. Once again, they delivered takes, usually with a stat included in a scripted sequence, rather than having a conversation that might take them somewhere different and interesting. Given the massive audiences for the finals, its pregame shows don't have to sound like um, a podcast they need to sound like people talking basketball, preferably to one another. For its second segment, the studio crew threw it to ESPN Sideline reporter Malika Andrews for an interview with Chris Middleton of the Bucks. Like pregame interviews across sports, viewers saw a single quote. Then Commissioner Adam Silver stopped by for a chat with the crew. Simple question, what kind of journey has the league been on to make it to this moment? And what has it been like for you as the commissioner and for the league to see so many stars emerge on a big stage? Yikes.
2: Oh boy. Really? Now that I did see that was yeah, that was before game four. Yes. But I only watched that because that's when the whole Rachel Nichols thing came out, and I was just curious to see how things were going to go. Right.
0: On Countdown, ESPN's announcers talk fast, and this is John writing, and it looked like they're always straining to stay on schedule. There are no Barkley-esque declarations that the Bucks are the dumbest team. No let's settle down here raised eyebrows on someone like Kenny Smith. No one has the time. They say the same techniques used on the NFL. There are philosophies, John Oran writes, behind this. Equal apportionment of precious TV minutes, careful prep to avoid Charles Barkley or Stephen A. Smith's frequent disasters. (laughs) Okay. When you focus on production rather than human interaction, you slowly unmoor yourself from the way sports fans talk to one another. TV people make TV shows for TV people more than they do the viewers. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes, yes, yes. See, that's one of the things we try to do. We try to talk to the audience all the time. It's about you. We try to talk to you about what's going on, answer your questions, talk about topics we think you're interested in. That's what we try to do here. We don't sit there and script it. But that you know, its uh, they have struggled with this show forever. They struggle with this show forever. It's not entertaining. I mean, they just got to turn some people loose, let them have some fun. I think. Don't know what you think. I mean, you know, if you want, maybe they can do the show from the Rose Bowl to make you feel better. <laughs>
2: No, I'm fine with the shortness, but that's just me because I'm not a fan of either of the analysts.
0: I just don't, I mean, I don't know. I I don't, I don't see what they're doing. Um, Oh, well. Take a break. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. all right great dad you with us on the show today tomorrow donnie collins is going to join us on the show looking forward to that and talking with donnie So you're not excited about NBA countdown. You're not excited about Bezos. You're not excited about the SEC. You're not excited. I mean, what, what? I mean.
2: No, I like the SEC in most cases.
0: And you're all worked up about the Rose Bowl.
2: Well, yes, I am. I, yeah. I, I, I want to see it be the championship game, and I just don't think they see what I see in it.
0: Well, for one thing, they bid it out so they get money for it.
2: (laughs) Let's start with that.
0: Yeah. Cash is king. You have to understand that, you know, and you're probably finding this out now. You're married with two children. Um, How important paper is. Paper is very important.
2: (laughs) That is absolutely correct.
0: My mother had a saying. My mother used to have a saying. She says, money isn't everything, but it's way ahead of what's in second place. Like, okay, <laughs> paper, man, you need paper, bottom line,
2: but they can get a whole heck of a lot more paper if they make it the national title game. That's my point
0: uh no they they can't they they'd have to bid for it they they can't they can't get more that's that's the point. they can't. in other words, if you're bidding it out now you've got Lucas oil Stadium bidding against the superdome now you get you get more money that that's how you get more cash you can't just get it by assigning it it's crushing for you to hear
2: yeah but it is what it is that's how it rolls now i'm just telling you
0: I, I can't have you leaving this show upset. You're, 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 <laughs> you're hey, n- now you're furious.
2: Well, you I just think they're that. being a little hasty. That's all the Rose Bowl people. But whatever.
0: I'm just telling you, it's the When it's a bit out process, because the college football playoff, by the way, is a business entity. They are incorporated. That's why they do what they do. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I think people think the NCAA runs it. They think the NCAA has nothing to do with the college football playoff. Zero. right? What they have to do with the college football playoffs, they watch it like the rest of us. College football playoff is an incorporated entity. Completely different. And they do things to make you mad.